Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 183 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. As the days get shorter and the darker nights arrive, you might be thinking there's less beekeeping to do. But never fear, it's time to dust down the microscope and delve into the microscopic world of pollen. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Welcome back everyone. Another week flies past and another heat wave pushes the temperatures sky high once more. Here in Norwich we hit 20 degrees Celsius again and it stayed that way for a couple of days before dipping back down to a more normal 13 or 14 degrees towards the end of the week. The bees have been mad busy, as you would expect, and thank goodness for late ivy and also urban gardens. At the fishing lakes, I've seen colonies bringing back the telltale bright yellow pollen of ivy, while at home, honeybees have been all over the dahlia plants that I have in our front garden. It's only a small patch of plants, and in most years, I've not really seen any honeybees on them. But I think because of the warmer weather, the dahlias have been able to open fully exposing their pollen-laden stamen, and the bees have been able to take advantage of this urban flower. I suspect this is the case for many of our garden plants this year, and I'm very hopeful our colonies have been taking advantage of this late food source. Soon, temperatures will drop back and our bees will be reluctant to fly out any distance, so to be able to grab this late bounty is a real bonus for them. I have a couple of topics for you today. I want to kick off by talking about late inspections and the worry that they can cause beekeepers, so don't do them, basically. So this week I popped to the Fishing Lakes Apiary to remove treatments from a final few colonies and while I was there I wanted to shoot a video showing the condition of some colonies. Unfortunately the camera locked up and we had to halt the filming part way through but we did manage to look in one or two colonies. Just to be clear now is not the time to be inspecting colonies. Only if you have a good reason to think there is a problem should you even consider cracking the crime board off and looking inside the brood box. I'm only doing this to show on video what to expect from a colony at this time of the year, and certainly I won't be looking in many colonies at all. You see, one of the problems at this time of the year is brood breaks. This is where the queen stops laying and the colony is empty of brood in all stages. Now, what I've found in shooting videos over the years is, of course, that not all colonies are equal. There's a revelation for you. Some are on a brood break, while other queens are still laying strongly and have brood boxes with large areas of capped brood. They're all different. The big challenge for the inexperienced beekeeper is 
staying calm and not jumping to the conclusion that they're queenless and trying to introduce a new queen, something that is likely to end up being pointless and costly, as there will doubtless still be a mated queen in the box and the workers will certainly kill any introduced queen. Thinking on the graph of brood production that I'm sure most of you have seen, egg laying peaks in early to midsummer and gradually falls down to a point that traditionally we think of a total halt to egg laying sometime around the depths of winter. The reality though is that colonies are all different as I've said and some will have a brood break earlier than others and that's exactly what I've found this week. In removing the treatment strips and having a quick look in several colonies to report back to you, I found a number that are totally broodless. My initial reaction was, oh no, they're queenless. But practicing what I preach, I took a moment to just think everything through and I believe it's just a natural brood break, nothing more. I wouldn't normally be looking and certainly wouldn't expect so many to be queenless or drone layers after winter. So I'm accepting that they're all okay and crossing my fingers. The best plan is to work on the basis that all colonies are queen right, unless you know for certain you have a problem and don't inspect them at this time of the year. Carry out your treatment processes, removing trays or strips at the appropriate time, but don't carry out an inspection. I'll be moving on to my oxalic acid treatments in December as normal and we won't get into the colonies again until late winter or early spring depending on the prevailing weather conditions at that time. Maybe if we have a very warm winter's day of 15 degrees or more I might have a quick look for a video but then again probably not. For a lot of beekeepers winter is a time of frustrating calendar watching counting the days until you can get back into your beehives and start a new season. If you've only a few hives, it doesn't take long to prepare new frames, get foundation ready, clean out old kit and browse the internet for the latest must-have gadget that will solve all of your beekeeping challenges. Well, to help pass the time, why not get stuck into some microscopy work? It's possible to get started for less than the cost of a nuke of bees and for me I have to say it's simply a most fascinating world that a lot of beekeepers just don't see. My enjoyment of microscopy was brought home this week when I gave a live demonstration of preparing a pollen slide to our beekeeping association. Now here at home my office is tiny maybe two and a half meters by two meters so it was a bit of a squeeze but I managed to produce a couple of slides and we looked at a number of slides that I'd previously produced when I was preparing for the BBKA microscopy assessment many years ago. I'm really looking forward to spending more time with my microscopes this winter and I hope I can convince you to join me. If I can get enough enthusiastic beekeepers willing to have a go, I might even set up some weekly sessions to help guide you through the basics. So, what do you need to get started in microscopy for beekeepers? Well, a microscope would be a good start. And this can be quite confusing because there's lots to choose from, but a range of prices to suit most pockets. For pollen identification, you really only need one microscope, a high-powered microscope. High-powered 
doesn't have to mean expensive either. A monocular high-powered microscope might only cost £100 or thereabouts. My preference though is a binocular microscope. It's easier on the eyes, but unfortunately not so easy on the wallet. It will cost a little more, but I think it's worth it in the long run. Other essentials are all the kind of bits and bobs that are needed to take a sample and get it onto the microscope slide. Fortunately, you can get pretty much all that you need in a box called the Pollen Identification Kit. It's the easiest way to ensure you have the basics. Something that is a little more tricky to get hold of is a hot plate for microscopy work. This is used to keep the glycerin jelly mountant warm and in a liquid state. Now, there are a lot of seemingly technical names that get used when you start out in microscopy, and it can be quite confusing and sometimes off-putting, but stick with it, it's really not so technical. Let me explain by talking about the glycerin jelly mountant. Sounds quite technical, but this is just a jelly-like substance that we use to suspend the pollen grains in on the microscope slide so that we can keep the pollen steady to look at. When we warm it up on the hot plate, it becomes liquid, and when it cools down, it becomes a solid jelly again. One of the tricks of looking at the detailed structure of pollen is to use a stain, and this increases the contrast of the pollen's features. The great thing with the pollen identification kit is the glycerin jelly comes with the stain already mixed into it, so it removes several steps in the process of creating a pollen slide. It's really simple, honestly. So, so far, we've got a microscope, a pollen identification kit, and a hot plate. What else do we need? Well, despite its name, a beekeeping dissection kit is really quite useful. It's a little cloth roll-up bag containing a range of scissors, forceps, needles, and other items that you might need when you get involved with dissections. Whilst it's a great set to have if you progress to dissection, it's also really helpful to have when dealing with fiddly flowers and microscope slides and cover slips. A few sheets of kitchen towel, and to be honest, you're pretty much ready to get started. All of that will cost something around 180 to 200 pounds, but you might be able to pick up something secondhand, for instance, to reduce the cost. Personally, I'm very much a practical beekeeping microscopist. I don't go in for pretty presentation. It's enough for me to simply create a slide, look at the subject and enjoy what I'm doing. And those are simply temporary slides. That said, there are a number of practical reasons for creating permanent slides. These are slides that can be kept for many years with the pollen secured in its glycerin jelly bath. With so many types of pollen out there, it's simply not possible for one book or resource to hold every single pollen type. At least, I've not found one as yet. There are several good books, and I would certainly recommend Dorothy Hodges and Rex Sawyer's books. But that said, one of the reasons for creating permanent pollen slides is to perhaps build up a library of your own resource material to compare pollen that you find in honey samples against known pollen slides. It's something I should probably do, but time always seems so precious at the height of the season, and microscopy slips to the back of my mind and to the bottom of my to-do list. Having said that, 
Some people just can't help being totally fastidious with their hobbies and have a need to complete to the very best of their abilities, being very specific about the details of their samples. I have had my moments. Sometimes I do like to get deep into the detail and complete the pond slice to the very best of my ability. But as I said, mostly it's just a quick check and I'm done. This is particularly the case with Nosema testing and with so many hives to check, it's just not necessary for me to label and seal each and every slide. Again, the great beauty of our beekeeping is that each of us can choose how we want to proceed. There's no right or wrong way. It's simply how you want to manage your experience. If you only have one or two hives, maybe each Nosema check that shows a positive result is something you would like to preserve. And why not? Checking for pests and diseases is a whole other conversation that we can have another time maybe, but it's an important part of microscopy. If you did want to keep your slides for the long term, another accessory you should consider getting is a ringing table. Not that I'm going to go into too much detail here, but for slides I want to save, I use a round cover slip to protect the sample. These cover slips can also be square, but the round ones make it super easy to seal the edge between the slide and the cover slip. And a ringing table simply allows you to spin the slide and paint the edge of the round cover slip really quickly and accurately. Microscopy, you will find, is very similar to beekeeping. There's always another piece of kit that you can buy that will enhance the experience and make life just that little bit easier. Something to add to the Christmas present wish list, maybe. I would urge every one of you to hop online and check out the microscopy kit available. I have some bare essentials listed on my website. Brunel Microscopes is the place to go for the more niche equipment, but however you want to get involved, grab a microscope and some pollen and join me for this fascinating part of our beekeeping world. Before I go, a couple of notices for you all. I mentioned before that I'm heading to the States to visit my youngest daughter in November for Thanksgiving. That will probably mean I'll have a week off recording the podcast while I'm there. Although I might make a trip to the local Man Lake beekeeping store and see what they're up to. If I do, maybe I'll record my visit for you. So that's the last week of November. Finally, next week, I'm going to restart my questions and answers sessions here on the podcast. So if you have any burning questions you'd like answered, ideally beekeeping related, if you don't mind, I'll do my very best to get some answers for you. Drop me a message on Patreon or use the contact page on my website or email me direct if you have my email address. Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Sweet.